0: hi so we're here now for what i think is actually episode 10 um it's Thank just you. yeah it's myself and matt today and we're trying something new we've got uh we've actually got three cameras streaming this live narcissists um we've got my instagram matt's instagram and then the company instagram uh, all crowd around. It's a little bit disconcerting because we can actually see ourselves as we talk, which is a bit yeah, strange. We might have to do something different. Suddenly realize time. like how people see you, and you're like, "Fuck, I look like a retard." Well, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> see, yeah, we do see that, but that's okay. That's just how you look. Fuck it. Um, so, we were doing a little bit of filming for an education company a couple of weeks ago, and we came across the idea of live streaming for the sake of generating a bit of interest. So we <coughs> thought we'd give it a go. Um, well a little bit more on that education going be coming up in the future, but for now uh, we're just gonna try it ourselves on this uh, on this medium and see what happens. When um, you go live with the education stuff? August, right? Aiming for the summer, yeah, to, to launch it in the summer. So for all of you uh, trainers
1: and would be trainers, you can get your how many reps C P D points from it?
0: Well it's what the project is gonna be is it's gonna be an online portal for seminars and for workshops um, based around human science so generally for the general public it's there in case anyone wants to learn sort of interesting topics from some people in Dubai we're going to focus on the local area to begin with and just film some experts speaking about their um, speaking about their expertise yeah, I so. no I'm going to have to turn that fan off. Um, sorry, back in one sec Matt, you keep going.
1: Yeah, so essentially Different expertise, so I've done a few, well, I've done one now on physiology, um, and I'm going to do like a whole series about how the body adapts, and then Keith is obviously doing his anatomy, and I don't know which camera's looking, uh, anatomy, and well, functional anatomy, I guess it is, so like how the body interacts with exercise, like what muscle moves what, and uh, all of that stuff, and then we got Omar, he's going to do some marketing right? Uh,
0: uh, yeah, there's going to be a marketing one some for the business, business of fitness, Yeah. There's going to be some sports medicine people coming in. There's going to be uh, a yoga and Pilates section. There's going to be stuff based around the female, uh, female development, female athlete, and then an overall kind of strength and conditioning. But basically, what we're doing is we're just trying to um, spread the knowledge around because there's a lot of people in Dubai who are experts in their fields, but they're hidden away in clinics or they're hidden away in gyms, and they don't uh, they don't tend to. Uh, they don't. They don't tend to um, get to share their, their, their knowledge with anybody except who's in the industry, so uh, or who's in rather in their small little clientele or in their in their clinics uh, membership base. It's all just added value for them. So what we want to do is we want to take that knowledge out of the clinics, out of the smaller gyms, out of the speciality you know the sports clubs where the, these experts, physios, strength conditioning coaches, nutritionists are all hiding away and offer a platform to uh, to share the knowledge that they have. Um, yeah, it's a big thing there
1: because it, it tends to be that the people who get hurt the most are the ones who have the, the best marketing teams, right? Whereas when you think there are guys who are in some of these clinics, and uh, particularly in the UK, there are a lot of kind of in-the-trenches coaches who are too busy coaching to be sort of uh, doing other stuff, and, and there's some really, really intelligent guys out there. So, yeah, it'd be good to get some more people like that. Kind of saying how they think, how they work, because they're sort of dealing with elite level athletes and all sorts on a regular basis, right?
0: Yeah, so the, the company's gonna be called the Life of Education. There is a website at of Lifeofeducation.com that we're we're currently constructing. If anyone wants to go to it, it's all just uh, it's all just a template now. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're looking to build. Um, and we're looking to just share the knowledge, share the share the wealth of information and uh, and just give people a, a bit more um, depth and allow people to learn because Dubai and the, the UAE in this region can be quite an isolating place for people who, uh, you know, who want to keep learning. You have to rely on top experts from all over the world to come and sort of you need you need to be told about it. You, you know, you need to have your your ear to the ground on who's coming to do what workshops. And it's not a very uh, it's not a place a lot of people are, are passing through as much as. The business world passed through here. The, the fitness industry doesn't really come this far. It's usually US, UK, Australia, cities, and that's about it. So it's hard for people here to kind of keep developing and keep that thirst for knowledge and keep keep uh, topping up with the latest developments. So we're going to try and offer this platform to them and try and keep it uh, keep people fresh and keep people in the know. Yeah, try and get them on this podcast as well. Yeah, yeah we're going to try and get a few experts in here. Um, to see what uh, to see what they can tell us, what we can share with them. Um, that they, they'll, they'll all be coming up. Uh, it's hard to say when because it's a scheduling thing. People that are quite busy, but hopefully over the summer when things quieten down, we can uh, we can offer a bit more uh, top quality content from that perspective. Yeah, we've got quite a few backed up already. So some guys we've had some really
1: interesting ones from. Uh, we had Alex last week. Was it two weeks ago? Yeah. So he works with the presidential guards. Is that right? Yeah. No, Alex works no. with the national service. National service guys in Abu Dhabi. That was an interesting one. So seeing what he thought about how to train kind of regular people and get them ready for effectively combat and kind of the army stuff as well. And then who else have we had on? We had Caroline on talking about her injuries. So coming back from horrific rock climbing injuries. Yeah, and then Caroline.
0: And we had we had Tommy from IFA Sports on. We had Nick. Yeah. Um, coach, Nick, coach Nick, check him out on Instagram, he, he, he'll enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> who else is on?
1: Oh, yeah, Chris on as well. To about his youth development. So, Chris, our business partner, he works with GEMS and Dubai College, and he's very sort of interested in youth development. So, for all of you parents out there who have kind of between the ages of eight to 16 kind of year old kids, that's kind of really focused on how do you develop those kids, how do you get the most. And it's quite interesting in that regard because there is a, a window of time within that period that you just won't get back. So it's in for people's development or your kids' development around that sort of growth spurt, puberty age. there's like kind of a key time. So if you have any would-be athletes there, make sure you listen to that podcast because we go into that quite a bit as well. Yeah. yeah and
0: then we had Ron on as well. I think that's it then. And then there's just a couple of with me and you. just, yeah, just talking shit. Just shooting shit. Yeah. Um, sure. So what shit have you got lined up
1: today? Well, so we'll, uh, yeah, I guess discuss some of the videos I made this then, huh? Yeah. And then, uh, there's a big thing about the anterior pelvic tilt that I guess we should get into because you got quite a lot of comments on your post, the one that you made about with the little diagram yeah. yeah. and the anterior tilt and sort of people complaining that there was always, uh, this kind of information telling you what the problems were and what was going on, but there was never any kind of, uh, solutions that were going into the mix. So I guess we can get into that today as well. And then, uh. There's quite a few questions coming in about the beetroot juice and things like that too based on uh, my little Instagram story that I did on Tuesday. What was that for those who missed it? So it's talking about beetroot juice. So
0: it basically came from Keith here breaking my balls every week <laughs> just uh, say, oh, why well, you do a little post on beetroot juice? No, because Matt, Matt did his dissertation in, in his, for his master's in physiology on beetroot juice of all things. I find that very funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if it is this... Uh, idea that such a humble little vegetable could actually have quite dramatic uh it's quite dramatic impact on your physiology from a perspective of endurance people which I didn't really go into the other day I kind of focused on the force development stuff and the power athletes so I guess we can chit chat about that as well any would-be endurance athletes or runners out there there's there's quite a bit of knowledge there for you guys um and then yeah just the general goings-on I guess who have you been working with lately what's been happening
0: with you well, I tried to film the anatomy thing again. It was an absolute disaster because it's hard to convey the message of anatomy, physiology and movement with a, with a lecture and a still slide. So we need to find a way to get the message across, and make it a bit more interactive, and a bit more uh, engaging. So that was all last weekend trying to do that. After we took people to the beach mm. on Saturday morning, we went to the little beach play around with the, the PTC girls pretty much. None of the guys showed up. Unfortunately for me, yeah, um, funny that. Yeah, it was just maybe ten or twelve girls, and, uh, <laughs> and you and me. Unfortunately, everybody in swimsuits and life jackets. But uh, then I went off to film this thing. It was, just, it was just a bit of a disaster, but it's all part of it. We don't. We're just learning. Um, it's just hard to get the message across. Uh, we'll have to find another way of doing it. We've, we've tried two separate ways. One filming when I presented it in uh, in January to a group. We had cameras and lights set up, but it's delivering the message to an audience, a live audience, and trying to get as much bang for your book and putting a camera in the background and recording that. It doesn't come out well on the camera because the projector slide is too light, so the rest of the area is too dark. And then if I'm too dark, the, camera, the, the projector is too faded. Um, and then there's just too much moving around and taking questions from the group. And I've got the mic and the group doesn't have the mic. And... It's just none of the footage was, was usable. So we tried a second time just in a room with a, with a laptop um, based around another idea we had. That didn't work. So we have two more ideas. And if they don't work, then we will have to f- come up with some very either expensive options or some very astute improvise. It's a tough options. thing to try
1: and teach because it is it can be so sort of dry. But um, the functional anatomy stuff gets quite interesting. And I guess this leads on nicely. So... Let's talk about the anterior pelvic tilt then. So that's kind of a classic problem. Are you gonna discuss that, those sorts of issues at all in your talk? Yeah, that'll come with the,
0: uh, with the, the trunk stability perspective. So on so describe what an anterior tilt is. What's that all about? Um, so if you, take, if you take your skeleton and you imagine it standing in a neutral position and then uh, you basically tip the front part of the pelvis down and you lift the tailbone up in the air So you essentially kind of stick your bum out and you arch your back. It's called an anterior pelvic tilt because um, if you imagine the pelvis is a basin of water and you want to pour the water out the front, which is the anterior part of it, you'll tip it down at the front and the water will pour out at the front. That's good, yeah. So the anterior pelvic tilt comes from when people are sitting all day, the distance between their leg bone and the front of their pelvic bone gets shortened just because that's at a 90 degree angle so for those of you wondering
1: so it's kind of that motion let let
0: me move out of the way
1: you see it with the cameras see it tilting forward right so what you're describing is that when you sit and you sort of slump so you imagine you're sitting there on a desk the hips so the ellipsoas so from the spine down to the front of the femur right yeah tighten the quads tighten and so you get this kind of Booty posture. You get all this compression around the lower back, right? As so you are saying, it's, it's like a water jug, so there's a neutral sp- spine there. Yeah. So the water tilts and then you're
0: pouring it forward to the water. Yeah. Gang. So the anterior tilt is when the front drops down. The posterior tilt is when the back drops down. Posterior tilt can happen, but it's a little bit more rare. It's a little bit more... i had a couple of clients later with posterior tilts. It's odd. Yeah, you're so used to being like,
1: ah, oh, yeah, you've got an anterior tilt Then suddenly it's like, oh shit, actually no you
0: don't. Yeah, you, yeah, you just have to be you have to be aware of your, your bony landmarks when you're looking at those so you know where the ASIS and the PSIS are and you know where they should be in relation to each other. One of those? Uh, the ASIS is a bony point on the front of the pelvis and the PSIS, so the ASIS is the anterior superior iliac spine. It's just a little, if you take a hold of your bony bit on your hip and you dig your thumb in, the most sharp, prominent point kind of up near the top is going to be your ASIS. So this bit here, huh? Yeah, and then a bit around the back, just under where you might see kind of dimples on a female. That's around your PSIS. So you just need to know where they are in relation to each other to be able to exactly tell what angle. But, uh, yeah, moving on. As well as the muscles being tight, there's also the structures around the hip, like around the actual neck of the femur. You've got like, ligaments, you've fascia, um, the, the the hip capsule itself. It's, it's inherently very tight in order to produce the stability that the body needs to move around and jump around and absorb shock. But when it gets too tight... From that position. If you imagine you're in the 90-degree position sitting down and you go to stand up, and now the femur goes from horizontal to vertical, you need a nice supple structure to stay to, to maintain the pelvic in its horizontal sort of neutral position. But that tightness, as the femur becomes vertical, often pulls the front of the pelvis down and forward. So from that instance, then you've got your hips tilting forward ever so slightly, and then coming out of the back of the hip joint, well, the hip bone, your pelvis, the top of your sacrum has your vertebrae. So your L five sits right on top of your the top of your sacrum. It's right there. So uh, top of the butt. I don't know what's going on over there on your phone, but okay. leave it. Like that's fine. Um, so L five now is going to tip slightly forward, and instead of your whole body on leaning forward like. a kind of like a bent over old person, you're not gonna do that. What you're gonna do is you're gonna straighten your mid chest and your upper back and you're gonna start to lean back. And that's gonna put a lot of curvature through the lower spine. And through that, if you imagine Lego blocks uh, loosely stacked on themselves, so you've got your, your bottom one is fixed to the board on the ground and then you've got five and then 12 and then seven all the way up, loosely packed with a bit of space. If you take the top one and you bend it one way or the other all the way forward or all the way back, they should all give just a little bit. But if you then compress some at the bottom and they'll become stiff in that position because the posture is just not allowing to move. So if you compress a couple at the bottom and now you start to move the top one, either two one of two things will happen. Either they'll, they'll all not go as far, and the end range will be a lot less, which is gonna cause problems through movement and sort of power development, or else, they will go as far, and instead of them all gapping their, uh, their respective amount, somewhere through the chain higher up is going to give that little bit more in order to achieve that end range movement. So you're going to put a lot of stress not only on the spot that's really stiff, but also somewhere further up the chain. And it's very, very common. It's what a lot of people present with when they talk about back pain and muscle spasm. It leads eventually down to a kind of a degenerative disc and a disc bulge. And then worst case scenario, you have a prolapsed disc. But before all that happens, you're going to have essentially run the risk of muscle spasms. And that's where you get the, the QL and the erectors on either side um, tightening up and going into a stiffness in order to protect the back uh, from any kind of further movement. Because movement is going to signal pain. So your body spasms up, stops are happening in order <coughs> to, to reduce the movement around the joint that's causing the irritation. That's only in a static position, so if you then try and go to move, this is where we're going to lose people with the podcast, but if we then try and go to move, if you imagine when, one, when you're walking or when you're running, as one leg moves forward, the other knee, in relation to the pelvis, travels back behind the hip, so it moves back behind the body. If the front of that hip joint is super stiff, either the pelvis is going to tip even further forward, and then... If you imagine it's going to tip either further forward, it's going to push the rear part of the the back upwards into the one above. And then as the opposite leg impacts the ground, you've got this force translating through. So let's just try and demonstrate that. It I might be tough on this one here. But it might be tough
1: for both. For camera, like, I don't know if you can see the camera on there, but what you're talking about is what? There's a leg goes back, kind of back it back up. It brings the pelvis the, more into an anterior sort of tilt. it rotates more there. Because yeah. you're always going to be constrained by the hip and the quadriceps there. So it's tight, so it doesn't want to have to go. So there's no movement.
0: That can happen there. So what has to happen is the back has to arch. Right? Right. Yeah, or it can rotate. So either arch through an ant through extension or it rotates and then you get groin yeah. yeah, it rotates. It's swiveling around there. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is, which, I mean, that's hard to c- explain over a podcast, but it basically just leads to a lot of back yeah. issues, a lot of hamstring injuries and a lot of, uh, a lot of core weakness and instability. Yeah, well, and shitty performance as well.
1: And this is what I was talking about. Two days ago, I think it was two days ago, where I was talking about this idea of Lombard's paradox. So, uh, if you shift your butt, but yeah, I try and demo these because it's a bit tougher. So, if you imagine I'm in a back squat position, right? And then I tuck down, or if I'm just sitting down and I'm trying to stand back up, there's a co contraction, right? Between the quadriceps and the hamstrings. And that's why it's a paradox. Because normally, what you see is that when during like any movement, so say with an arm, you get a concentric movement in the bicep. The antagonist, sorry, the protagonist muscle has to lengthen, right? And that's normally how the muscles work. So let say you get kind of movement around a joint. Whereas what we see with Lombar's paradox is that there's two opposing muscle groups that are essentially contracting at the same time because it's a complex movement. You're trying to extend the knee to this movement here, but you're also trying to extend the hip, okay? So those two things have to happen. But then what you also get is this increased stability around the knee and the hip as well because you've got two massive. Muscle groups that are contracting at the same time. and The problem is when you go into that anterior tilt position and everything's rotated forward, you get this kind of elongation of the hamstrings. And as Keith said, the shortening of the hip flexors and the quadriceps. So you get the, the impression or the illusion that you have tight hamstrings. You keep foam rolling and you keep stretching. But obviously, that just exacerbates the problem. And the problem with that is when you've got an elongated muscle, <clears throat> So if you saw my stories yesterday about the muscle contraction, the sort of Velcro movement, or what we see is like the two filaments sliding on each other. When one muscle is lengthened, it's being pulled too part, right? And then when one's too tight, it's always in a slight bit of contraction. So what you end up with is that when you're in that position, that sort of squat position there, the quadriceps are overly firing, the hamstrings and the glutes aren't firing enough. And this is when you start to drift forward. So When you see on, when people do a box squat or when they do a back squat, they sort of come forward onto the toes a little bit too much and then all this pressure gets put through the front of the knee and that's when you start getting the overuse injuries and things like that do you agree
0: yeah so to make the idea a, a bit more transferable for the guys in the podcast if you imagine a seesaw and you've got the center of the seesaw as your femur and you've got the long width of each side as the pelvis you've got one side of the seesaw is down on the floor so that's going to be the front and then the back of the seesaw is up in the air so that's at the back where your hamstring is so you tie you you take the you take it back into neutral where the seesaw is totally level and you tie two pieces of elastics from each end to the floor you bring the front bit down the rear end goes up in the air and it elevates and it puts a lot of pressure through the hamstring so the, the hamstring gets elongated so a lot of people sense that they sense they have tight hamstrings but and they spend all their time stretching, and all they're doing is they're increasing the distance of that seesaw to move away from neutral. So instead of attacking the hamstring that they feel is really tight, if they go at the opposite side, so if they go after the hip flexor and start opening out the hip flexor and all the other anterior hip complex structures, then they're going to start to see the front of the seesaw goes up, the back of the seesaw comes down and the hamstring begins to restore itself back into a neutral, much more functioning uh, position. So that was one of the posts I did. It was a post based around, are your hamstrings actually tight? And that the, the easy way to kind of picture that is the seesaw effect. where the front goes down, the back goes up. You feel like the back is tight, but it's actually, it's not tight because it's too short. It's tight because it's being pulled further away from itself. So forget about that. What you actually have to do at a later stage is strengthen that and bring that down, make it shorter again. You need to open out the front. Um, Essentially, one of the rules that I'll follow 99% of the time, if not more, is going to be remove the restriction and then control the weak link. So the restriction is the hip flexor and the anterior complex structures. Remove that restriction, let the seesaw return back in towards a neutral position, and then go after the, uh, the hamstring strength, then re-strengthen that fire up the glutes blah 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 keep that hip uh, keep that posterior part of the pelvis down in a neutral position Um, so how would you open
1: the restriction like would you just stretch the quads and the hip or would you foam roll
0: or a combination of the two I don't I don't tend to foam roll unless somebody's got unless somebody's got one or two very very tight spots I would only use a foam roll over a couple of joints and I wouldn't really do it in the way where you just roll up and down and you just mash the muscle into the bone. That's just not, that's not that effective. What, what you're doing there is you're uh, so what's happening on a cellular level when, when you've got a tightness in a knot or in a, in a trigger point or in a muscle, the muscle's stuck in a contraction. So right down at the cell, you've got a sodium, potassium, and calcium imbalance and it's stuck that way. There's no more transfer in and out of the cell going on. So the muscle can't release itself. So by by uh, doing some foam rolling or like a sports massage or even a more effective is some dry needling where they go in and they, they, they hit that spot, what you're doing is you're irritating the area. So you're mashing it down, you're hurting it, you're causing yourself pain, and that then stimulates a blood response from the body and it pumps blood to the area. And you're hoping that with that blood comes new nutrients and you comes new sodium, potassium, calcium, and you get a rebalancing of the cellular makeup and the tension begins to... Uh, to open out, it's a very like it's a very swing for the fence and hope you get it kind of approach, um, and it works. It works for a lot of people, but there's a couple of more effective ways of uh, using a foam roller when you have a a muscle that runs over one joint that you can very easily lengthen and shorten. So take your foam roller. The foam roller is that tubey thing that you'll see in the corner of the gym that people roll around on. So take that, put it on the ground, get your body on, on lying on its front with the foam roller right over that one tender spot and leave it there gently. Don't hammer yourself, don't push it in. Just lay on it and then begin to bend your knee so as the heel moves up towards your bum and back down towards the floor, you're actually lengthening and shortening the quad. So you're you're now you're actively contracting uh, and eccentrically lengthening the muscles that are over the pressure point. So now you have got a much more targeted, uh, a much more targeted um, approach. Yeah, like it's a, it's right on the spot that you know is the spot. You're not just putting in and mashing. Around. I mean, if you just reach down and mash your quad around, you're just going to shift the whole, all the muscle and all the bulk all over the place. You're not really going to get that one spot. Um, so you just a back up, so. They have a tight quad and
1: there's like a knot that they're feeling right yeah so they should get the foam roll a lie on that knot yeah and what you're saying is basically flex the knee and then extend the knee yeah just so the muscle is now kind of lengthening yeah. and contracting while under a bit of pressure well.
0: yeah bring the heel up towards your bum nice and slowly and then bring your foot back down towards the floor and as your heel t- goes towards the bum the muscle is going to get its into its longest position and that's where you're going to feel a lot of the kind of bit more of the taut um, discomfort and then it's going to soften out as you bring your heel back down but I would just go more for, for static stretching because you want your body to begin to learn how to uh, maintain a lengthened position at a normal room temperature so there's the reason why people kind of do Bikram yoga and the, that hot yoga and all those hot exercises and they, re- they report a very uh, like an amazing uh an amazing effect on their mobility is that around I think it's 43 degrees 43 or 47 degrees the collagen fibers break their bonds down through different levels of the of the tissue and they begin to move past each other much quicker much softer much easier so when the temperature gets to that level the muscle or the whatever the connective tissues becomes much softer and allows much more movement but that's great if, uh, if you can achieve that but it just if you want your back to stop hurting when you walk around the office when you're at home making dinner. Um, You need the joints to be able to maintain their correct posture at a normal temperature. So I'm more of an advocate of slow, simple, uh, static stretches, but not right at the end range. There's there's, there's two points to a muscle stretch. There is where the muscle gets taut, and then there's when the muscle is absolutely stretched. So if you imagine you kind of have an elastic band laying on the table, you can, strength, you can straighten it to the point where it's, it's, it's at its longest, but there's no stretch, and then you can stretch it apart. So you can actually, if you, if you get used to kind of your, your mind-muscle connection, you can actually find the point where that muscle becomes, we used to call it the bite of the muscle. I don't know what the, what the medical term is, or if that's, that is, or if that's some other term, but we used to call it where the muscle bites, and then you take it further, and now you're taking it out of its kind of its normal range and into towards an end range especially with your hamstrings people feel that wiry tightness when they try and stretch the hamstrings there's a lot of nervous there's a lot of your, your nerves running down your leg when you when you stretch that it's, it's a bit of a risky thing to hold that into a static stretch but for more of the gentle stretching um definitely static stretching for your hip hip flexor stretches which are going to be too hard to talk about on the podcast or and then so you want to open out the front of your hip flexor and like i said the anterior stuff the the capsule and the ligaments and the fascia, um, where you're going to have to pull the knee behind the body, but you need to fix the pelvis upwards. So there's a few little tricks to that. and I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a little workshop, a little uh, couple of videos on that uh, at some point in the next, over the summer when i got a bit more time. Um, but then you also need to loosen out your lower back and allow the posterior part of your pelvis to lower down. So a um, little bit of lower body trunk flexion. I do it with people where they they lie on their back, they bring their knees into the chest and they just rock back and forward, up and down like they're like they're uh, lifting their hips off the ground, their, their body's going to raise up so their shoulders and kind of the back of their head are on the floor and then they rock all the way down through their spine. So now their bum is on the floor and they're sitting up, looking straight ahead of them and then they just rock back down. So you just kind of rock back and forward and then lying flat on your back, putting one leg across, bending your knee up in the air, bringing one leg sorry, across your body so that now you begin to open up the lower back through rotation and that the two combine, they're not ideal, they're not the most perfect, it's too hard to really get that trunk flexion stretch just because you have so much tissue, you've got your organs, you have your ribs, you've got a lot of stuff in the front, it's quite hard to stretch your lower back but if you do it frequently enough, it'll begin to respond, the tissues will begin to become supple enough and you should really then help your pelvis stay into neutral and that's even before you start doing any sort of strengthening exercises in a static position and then that's both before you even talk about trying to keep that stability while you move
1: so that, that first stretch you mentioned was uh almost like rolling like a baby on its back so you're you're lying on the floor. The legs yeah. come up to the chest.
0: Yeah, that if you ever see somebody or if you've done it yourself, I'm sure if you're a parent, where you're trying to you're you're almost trying to uh, clean the baby's nappy, where you lift the legs up and you tip them back so their legs and their hips are in the air and just their back and their shoulders are on the ground. That's the one part of the movement, and then you're going to rock back down and sit up as the second part of the movement, and then the second
1: one is you're lying on the floor. Yeah, you bring one leg up to 90 degrees, and then you just allow that to rock to one side. So. Kind of, uh, yeah. One knee is then
0: touching the floor while the shoulder's still on. Um, yeah. So you lie. So like, yeah. So let's say this: you lie flat on your back in a crucifix position, and you lift one leg straight up in the air, and then you just drop it over directly towards the opposite pocket. So really, you're going to get. So if you lift the right leg up, you bring it over towards your left hand side, and you let your hips rotate. So now your hips are actually lying on their left side. But your shoulders and your back are lying flat on the floor and you're going to stretch out primarily you're going to hit your glutes on that when you start doing it but those people who really have tight backs are going to feel it through their lower back and then the more you can fix that upper body with a weight or to the to the leg of the bed or a chair then you're going to feel the stretch transfer further up into your kind of mid-back and
1: you're saying basically remove the restriction first before you do the strengthening stuff yeah so, how, so at what point then, so let's say I have a crazy anterior tilt and I've got serious lower back pain. Uh, When will I know that I've restricted it enough uh, where I can then start doing the strengthening exercises? Uh,
0: When you've removed the restriction enough. Um, There's not like a time where, okay, now you're at the point where you can start. But for a lot of people when they're coming into this, time management is uh, a, a key thing that they struggle with. So I will set out some of the program right here are your stretches and here are your exercises, here are your core stuff. It's going to take you about 15-20 minutes of doing it at home by yourself, sometimes half an hour. If you find you've only got 5 or 10 minutes, our priority right now is to remove the restriction. So that has to happen first. So if you can do the two, wonderful. You're going to start your session with your stretches and then you're going to finish the, stre- the session with your strengthening stuff. But you have to do it in that order. One thing. So remove the restriction, then control the weak link on a on a single session scale. The overall rehab process. Let's say somebody's traveling or they're away; they can't get to the gym. What can I do when I'm there? It's like okay. Realistically, you don't have time to do uh, an hour because you're traveling, you're flying, you're meetings, you're being entertained. Right. Well, give yourself five, ten minutes of just doing the stretches. Focus on the stretches and let that be the priority because we need to remove the restriction. And then control the weak link. So if you spend all your time doing your core stuff, as soon as you stand, so your core is going to you're going to activate your core, you're going to activate your glutes, you're going to try and bring your pelvis into a neutral position. As soon as you stand up, those hip flexors are really tight. That lower back is super tight on, on the on the rear side. It's just going to pull it all out of line again. You're going to walk about your day, um, and you're going to find it very hard to maintain, to keep, to generate the strength in your core to maintain that neut- that neutral position while the capsule the ligaments and the, the muscles are so tight; they're just going to keep pulling it out of their line all day, pretty much. Right. So at the start of the session, then, so would you foam roll first or last? Um, I would. If you really want to foam roll, I'd foam roll first. Foam roll
1: and stretch first. Okay. So then the static stretches, so that the baby rocking, yeah, the leg to one side, um, and then you would. What, then go into the normal sort of regular warm-up? Or would you sort of do your, your raise and all that sort of stuff first and then go into the...
0: Uh, or does it not particularly matter, do you think? No, it depends who it is. If it is a 9 to 5 or coming in before or after work, then I would combine the two, the stretches straight into the floor, the core activation, the glute exercises... Um, and then, moving on later in the session, you move towards their movement drills um, but the core stability stuff when an, it it almost acts as a warm up and a small primer as well, yeah, do you know what I mean so when they 're doing it they're uh, they 're beginning to warm the tissue they 're beginning to warm up the joints to move the joints um, if they 're an elite athlete then or even if they're just any sort of, if, if they're working towards any sort of movement-based goal rather than just a rehab or restoring uh, you a know, restorative uh, goal, if they want to move towards a movement thing, then do the stretches. And then uh, depending on their level of severity, they might be okay just to do a couple of things to, um, to activate their core, activate the glutes at a slightly higher intensity and then just crack mm-hmm. on. And so then
1: that's where you go in with the hamstring strength stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And what, what sort of exercises would you do? Well,
0: uh, I would actually more focus on the glutes, getting the glutes activated. So I wouldn't even worry about the strength output or the power output that they can do at the beginning. I would look more towards waking up the neural connection between the brain and the muscle. So, just being able to actually feel the muscle firing. Yeah, and feel it burn. Because what you're trying to do is you're essentially trying to wake, uh, dust off the, the pipeline between the brain, the spinal cord, the peripheral nerves, and then all the way down onto the motor unit of, from the, that takes the signal, the electrical signal from the nerve, into making the, uh, the, the muscle fiber contract. So, what happens is, specifically in the glutes and in your core, your nervous system starts activating uh, your type 2 motor units, which are slightly bigger and they activate less muscle fibers, but they're basically your fast twitch power fibers. Whereas what you want to help stabilize the pelvis is much more of a slow twitch, um, low level stabilizing uh, endurance m- sort of fibers. Yeah, the ones that work from a zero, 0 to 4 out of 10 rather than like traditional strength is a 7, 8, 9. 10 out of 10 range so you want to work at that level so but just on that point because that's that's because
1: particularly with postural stuff and when people go into the gym they tend to just want to lift the heavy weights and so on and so forth and to kind of put this or frame it in kind of a maybe an easier way you've got to remember that life is effectively an endurance sport and it's sort of work to rest ratios are like 16 hours a day uh, sorry 16 hours during the day and then however many hours sort of you're sleeping. So, you've got to think your body is effectively trying to perform at that level the whole time. So, even if you're an SSC coach or you're kind of really into your weightlifting and things like that, that's almost kind of your primary importance. It's like you've, you've, you've got to be able to to get through life before you then add all the performance stuff on top. And that's what he's saying here about developing the slow twitch fiber so that you can activate the necessary muscles and things stabilize in the way that they should. There,
0: yeah, also what you want to do is you want, because when you don't have the stability fibres working, so if your nervous system is activating the power fibres, movement is going to take preference over stability because you need to escape the lion chasing you rather than be stable. So your body's always going to activate the movement muscle fibres over the stability fibres. So the nervous system, if you imagine the, the signal traveling all the way down from the brain, it gets right to the, to the nerve. Instead of going to the stability fibre, it goes to the the sorry the stability motor unit. It goes, and the motor unit is just like a messenger box. So I'll put it this way: you have a front line of your army ready to go, and you have ten thousand troops, and you have a hundred message boxes trying to get the message through to the to the army as to what who's going to do what, and if they're all going to charge or they're all going to wait. Okay, that single take one of those 100 motor units it has to activate a thousand troops or what are my maths 100 troops if you can increase the amount of message boxes on the front line you're going to get more of the front line doing a more coherent job so everyone's going to be much more inclined to be doing the same thing so what you need to do is at the very beginning when you're trying to reactivate and kind of re-educate your body how to move at the very very low level you need to then start inputting more motor units or activating dormant motor units. So you've got to break the movement right down to the fact where, okay, if you want your knee to stay into control or if you want your pelvis, so the back of your pelvis gets its stability from the top of the femur when you're standing. The femur is the fixed point coming off, coming straight up out of the ground. So the pelvis has to pull back into the top of the femur. from a stability, there's, a bit of, uh, there's actually a bit of external rotation there as well because of the way the, the glute runs, which is an anatomical thing. But what you need to do is uh, teach that glute how to activate the correct fibers. And that breaks the movement right down into a, into a hugely simple uh, low level. Sometimes it's even just so much, okay, line your belly and tense your glutes. Some people be like, what? line on your belly and tense your glutes clench your butt cheek imagine your partner is going to pinch your bum like just clench it and they struggle i know i've got two people right now who are, you can finally do it but they were struggling with me first looking at me laughing you always get that in the upper back as well like when people
1: do like dumbbell rows and stuff particularly when they start they can never quite feel the upper back working it's always the arms and the biceps and
0: Yeah, so that's just one thing, right? Your exercise now for the next three days. Let's see you again and just do that. Like it's it's that we can't do anything else until you can get that basic one working. So there's another thing that you can check as well. When someone's lying on their belly, you press your fingers into their into the deep part of their glute fibers, into like right into the fleshy part of their butt. Get consent first. Yeah, yeah. Ask them first. Tell them what you're going to do. Grabbing asses. Well, you're not even grabbing. You're just putting pressure straight down, and then. You're going to put pressure in the in the belly of the hamstring. They're lying on their front. What you're going to get them to do is lift their leg, lift their knee straight up off the floor. And what you should find is glute contracts first and then hamstring contracts. And in a vast majority of people with back pain and knee pain, hamstrings will contract and glute will come in right at the end. So what you need to do is begin to change that. And the first part of that is just actively thinking, tense my glute, tense my glute, tense my glute. Oh, there's our cat. Um, so... Uh, tensing your glute actively p- clenching it before you lift that knee off the floor is is the first exercise if that can be done great tick that box move on now you're going to lie on your side you're going to do that, that kind of oz aerobics style clamshell that the women in the 80s and 90s used to think was toning their butt that's Jane funda yeah it's a fantastic exercise for glute stability um it's not going to tone or it'll burn fat off the outside of your flesh so Put that to bed. But what we are going to do is we're going to start teaching the glute med, the glute min, the glute max, to very gently understand the external rotation and how to activate the glutes to control that knee. Um, and so that will be the way I will do the glute. And then from there, in a hamstring bridge, it shouldn't really be called up ham- there. So they've stretched, they've
1: firm rolled, and now they're doing glute activation stuff. So clinching the butt, and then what else? What just some like glute bridges and then yeah, the, um, glute
0: bridge, clamshells clamshells first and then because you and then you need to then go to uh, you need to now start working your hip extension pattern so you've worked your external rotation with the clamshells and now we need to start working how to activate the glute to bring the knee from in front of the body to behind the body so I would simply get people lying on the floor the first thing they're going to do is we kind of spoke about it a few minutes ago You're going to posteriorly tilt their hips. So lying on your back with your heels on the floor, your knees are in a triangle shape up in the air. And now you're going to simply push your lower back into the floor and that's going to activate the glutes first and foremost. It's going to activate your your arms as well. But from your lower limb perspective, the glutes are going to activate first and then you're going to scoop up your hips. You're going to lift it off like your, your tailbone first, then the back of your hip and then your lower back. And you're going to go all the way up to the top and you're going to really tense your glutes at the very top. So now you're uh, you're trying to get a straight line from your shoulders all the way through your hips to your knee, and then uh, slowly return that back to the floor. Switch off and then relax. Do it again. Tuck your hips, push your lower back into the ground, scoop your hips off the floor from your tailbone first, all the way up to the top. Really activate your glutes at the end because now you're what's called now you're in full uh, you're in yeah you're in full extension or neutral. So that's the that's the position where your back and your pelvis and your femurs are in what you hope is your optimal neutral position and that's where you really need to tighten your glutes and get them fired to know that that's what they're going to have to do when you in two three four five months time are standing under a barbell with a barbell across your back and you're trying to bear the load of that 60 70 kilos and you're trying to hold your pelvis in line so if you hold your pelvis in neutral now the force of your upper body and the barbell can Neatly transfer through the column of your spine, of your uh, of your vertebrae. Rather than when your glutes are weak, your bar- your hips are tipped forward, and now the barbell weight is traveling through the little bony bits that stick out of the back of your uh, of your spine, and you've got no core activation. So you're like a pillar instead of like a bow. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um, and then I spent a few weeks doing that. There's a couple of um, There's a couple of specific core exercises that are very hard, very interesting. We won't be able to explain, so I actually need to do this with people lying on the floor with them and teach them where to use their fingers for palpation, for pressure points in their abs so that they know they're working their deep core. And a few very key teaching ones that they have to feel um, inside. They've got to feel when their lower back lifts off. They've got to feel when they lose control. But it's all a very steady process. And what I'll do is I'll start people at the very basic level. Everybody who comes in, right, I want to know this, this, and this. If you can tick that box, we'll immediately move on to the next one. You tick that box, we'll immediately move on to the next one. But if, if I find that you're struggling here and here, we're just going to stay there until that looks good. And then it's the movement. It's not the weight. It's not so much the endurance. It's, it's the activation and the movement pattern. That once I can see you're, you're, you're able to fire your glute, you're able to tuck your hips in a hamstring bridge, Okay, that looks easy. Your face looks like isn't as red this week as it was last week. Okay, now we're going to slow it down, and now we're going to raise your feet. We're just going to slowly, slowly increase the resistance uh, against the glutes. Um, And then I would start people in a more functional position in standing, doing single leg stuff, just to try and get that nervous system a bit more activated without having to load them up. So is there, like, a point at which you would be happy for
1: somebody to, say, start doing loaded stuff? So, like, what would you look for to in your own practice um, as kind of a strength measure? Being like, okay, they can now do, say, I don't know, 20 glute bridges without any sort of pain and experience all of it in the butt and the glutes. And then would you say, okay, now you can go on to do other things? Do you you have, like, certain checkpoints in your head
0: for that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, So the clamshells is you... Well, so... A key point to those clamshells that we were talking about, and this is the type of thing I was saying when you need to be able to feel it. So it's all based around feedback from the, the individual who's doing it. When you li- So you're lying on your side, your legs are in a slightly bent position, like you're about to go to sleep. And you keep your two feet together and you just raise your knee up in the air and you rotate it back. So almost like a, a clamshell opening up or the jaw of a giant mouth opening up. You're gonna bring your knee as high as you can go and then you're going to slowly bring it back down. Now, the key thing to be aware of when you're bringing it back down is the muscle contraction type. So your power fibers are the type of fibers that are fast, which they work on, off, on, off, on, off. When you squat down, up, down, up, you run, you you pump your legs forward, back, forward, back. The stability fibers that we're working with are tonic, so they should be nice and smooth. What do you mean tonic? So tonic means a smooth contraction. So it's one slow up and one slow down. So when you're standing around in your house, or you know, the, the muscle is always contracted and it can adapt to the movement pattern nice and easy. It doesn't have to suddenly twitch. So when you see people doing planks and they're twitching, depending on how long they've been in that plank, if they've been in that plank for four seconds, immediately you can tell that their deep core, their stabilizing core has not fired and their outer abs, their movement abs are working. So if you imagine a crunch, crunch up, crunch down, on, off, on, off, on, off. And now you're telling your body statically hold through joints that your abs control. So when the whole body starts to twitch, now you know that it's the movement muscle fibers on the outer uh, surfaces going on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. And that's not what you want. Eventually, when you're doing your plank for three, four minutes, that's acceptable because you're your uh, the 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 fatigue has set in but at the beginning people shouldn't be twitching straight away with a plank because unless they want to work these muscles which is bizarre they shouldn't that shouldn't be the goal a plank should be a stabilizing thing Um, so the same thing happens in your glutes when that knee starts lowering down towards the floor if you look very carefully and if you feel very astutely to it you'll feel a twitch it'll just stop and go stop and go stop and go stop and go as it lowers down and it won't be smooth so that's my marker for these people when we're doing these like i'm going to tell you right, you see that movement you feel that twitchiness and often one leg is worse than the other one side is way more twitchy than the other or the height that somebody can get to isn't as much on one side as it is on the other um so the marker for when you can get beyond clamshells, because people hate clamshells, they're boring and they burn, Mm. is, okay, can you control that? And I'll quickly jump to then Right now, let's get you in standing and let's start working you to some kind of weight, bodyweight Bulgarian split squats where you're bringing your knee all the way up, where you're bringing your body all the way down. You got one foot on a raised level behind you. You got your one foot out in front on the floor and you're just bringing that rear knee down towards the floor and you're loading up your quads and you're hoping that you're going to load up your glutes. Um... And then also at the moment I'm going through a a love affair with arabesques where it's kind of a ballerina move where you're going to... Yeah, always fun to watch. Yeah, um, but it really gets people's single leg, hip, hinge, extension working. And the only reason I do single leg is because I want to... I don't... I've changed philosophy in the last few years about like... I used to think about squat, hinge, most important. Mm. And I do believe those movements are, are... most important, but the way I'm doing it nowadays is much less aggressive with beginners. Yeah, so I'm giving people who are coming back the chance just to get control of their body. Look, we don't even need weights just now because if you do a bodyweight squat, that might hurt you for a day or two, but eventually, you're gonna, you're gonna get strong enough for your double leg bodyweight squat. So, within four or six weeks, I need to put a weight in your hand or a barbell on your back. Well, if we switch that down a level and we introduce single leg stuff. And I give you the option of, like, low reps so that you don't absolutely burn. But it leaves us much longer working with just body weight to then be able to go into a single leg, um, slightly weighted exercise, or to a double leg, and then start to bounce back and forth between double and singles. So really the whole sort of
1: uh, progression through the session is basically going from simple to kind of complex. So you're starting off with the most basic kind of stretches and foam rolls. And then you're kind of lightly going into very sort of slow, as you say, tonic movements, just activating like the glutes and the hamstrings. Yeah. And then it becomes more of a complex compound movement, so across multiple joints. the so things like the Bulgarians you were saying, and then the arabesque, which is kind of like a just a, a tipping motion, so leaning from the hip. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, or just give it a quick YouTube, you'll get loads of videos. Um, and then the, that's how you'd spend most of the session and then you work from the single leg into the double leg sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and what's your checkpoint for that then? So how do you know when somebody's ready for double leg? Or are you just kind of eyeballing it and then just seeing? Y-
0: yeah. I mean, everyone's ready for double leg because people just get up and down out of mm. the chair. And like, it just depends on the load. And then depending, I mean, guys will tend to jump in a little bit heavier weight straight away. You know, their body weight is one thing, but there's holding a 5 kilo, 10 kilo on a guy's, unless he's a very unfit person. Um, usually, I'll just jump in with a barbell. If he's competent with a barbell, then we'll start to put some weight on it. But I know that what we've done already is we've packed the foundation. So he's not just relying on his lower back and his quads to lift. I know that we've spent four or eight weeks firing up his glutes. So he's got a full activation system ready to go and lift this weight we spend some time on the, on the map working his core so he knows how to work his core when his hips are extending um, and whether he knows he knows or uh, you know that's almost not the point, the point is that his body knows, He his body knows that he contracts his glutes before he'll contract his hamstrings through hip extension and his body knows that he needs to contract his abs before he moves his lower limb. Um, and then from there, it's just to see how he reacts. If, if he looks like he's struggling under the bar or his body's wavering or his back is buckling as he's pressing up, then we'll just regress it again I'll explain it to him. I'll go, look, we'll come back to this in a week or two. Um, it's a nice little bit of a test to see where you are. If you're not quite ready for that yet. Let's get back. And then I have a nice exercise that I do where I make people do a sit to stand. So I'll put a level quite low on the floor, like a little maybe... Uh, 12 inches, say, or or a little higher, maybe 18 inches, somewhere in that range. And they're going to stand up in front of it, and they're going to very slowly sit down into a squat. And they need to maintain their whole perfect posture squat: shoulders back, back straight, knees over the uh, knees in line with the hip and the toes. Um, they can travel forward as much as they need to. So I don't have any problem with that, um, as long as there's no knee pain occurring. But they need to maintain that. And what will happen is right down the bottom of the squat, they're gonna just drop onto the box. Mm. They don't have control in that bottom area. And then they need to float off the box. So they need to lean forward very, very slowly, get to feel their weight transfer from their bum into their heels, and they need to just slowly float up. And what people's habits is that you're used to getting up and down out of a chair where you bend, you bend, you bend, and just before you sit in the chair, you just drop, boom. You don't realize, you just flop into the chair. Then as you're getting out of it, you move quite fast and you utilize momentum in order to push yourself forward and then up in the air. We take all that out of it so that in order for the body to hold that position in these new positions, which is going to relate to the bottom part of the squat, that people are made deep squat. you got to go deeper. you got to go hip, hip below your knees. I don't force people to do that at all at the beginning until I know that they've got the range. And they've got the control of the very small muscles that go from uh, each vertebrae to vertebrae all the way up the back of your spine. If you can maintain, if you can't maintain that posture with just your body weight, you've got zero chance to be able to maintain that posture with any extra weight. Mm-hmm. So when people come into the gym and they put a barbell on the back and they're told, right, squat, lower. You've got to go lower. Here's how we squat in this gym. Everyone knows you need to squat below your hips. That's absolutely not true. Um, and if anybody makes you do that and it doesn't feel comfortable, question them and ask them why. But if, that, if someone looks to me, like when I bring them to a barbell and I put a bar on their back and they can't control it, I go, right, put that bar back. Come here, try this for me. And then I take them through this very slow sit to stand. And I make them take five seconds to go from standing into sitting and they can't flop down onto the box. And then I make them take five seconds to stand up all the way through. So we're, we're forcing those very light muscles to work for longer. So we're increasing the time under tension, which is going to make them work. It's going to make the nervous system have to work. You make them do five reps of that, and you're working for close to a minute. Now, that nervous system has been activating these tonic, small, stabilizing muscles for 60 seconds, which is enough to burn anybody out in any exercise. So you don't need any load for that. You just need to know what you're looking for and coach them into into feeling how that feels? Yeah, and that in itself for a beginner as well. Those sorts of high tensile,
1: kind of almost isometric in their nature. Yeah, will help promote muscle growth as well. If there's enough stress there to cause it. So, complete beginner, so you're kind of hitting a few birds with one stone on that one. Yeah, we might have to wrap this up. Yeah, what time? How, how long do we have? S- uh, we're gonna have to probably do it soon. So, so warming up, so stretching, foam rolling. So, get a knot, say on your quad, put the quad on the foam roller. Uh, flex and extend the knee. Yeah, if you've got a, if you've got a sticky point in your quad, yeah, you can do it on your calf as well. Then go into stretches. Yeah, so the hip stretch, the the baby rocking one. Yeah, the knee over, uh, touching the floor with the shoulder on the floor. Yeah, um, and then going into kind of the butt clenching, the glute bridges, if need be.
0: Yeah, if they're that low, if if that, if if that's what's on the on the horizon for them, or else will skip that and go straight into a posterior tuck and a glute bridge, mm. some simple quad, little mini step downs. Combine those three as much as you can. Yeah. And then I will personally start, to, I mean, doing it's not the only way to do it, there's plenty of ways. A lot of people bring in much more global movements where they bring in a lunge with a rotation and that's where they stay for the first 15, 20 minutes of a session, mm. which is great. Um, we're working in the confines of the facility that we have, where we can't have too much people moving around. So that's just where I've been living. Yeah. But then you you'd go with a, a single leg squat of some sort of Bulgarian, normally, and then a, an arabesque for the hip. In. As much as I could, just to give me room to then progress a little bit later in this in this person's journey. How high would you have the box for a Bulgarian? Depends on the height of the person, not to be silly. But um, I'll let what I do is I'll just let them do it. I won't say a word, and I'll see where where their comfort level is.
1: Yeah. But the reason I ask is because obviously you have different degrees of anterior tilt. So if you have the back leg going up a little bit. Two or five. Somebody's already quite excessively in that position. Yeah. Then, irrespective of their height, you, you almost don't want that to kind of rotate even further. Whereas with some people, it's just a slight thing; they could probably maybe get away with going a bit higher and getting a more of a stretch.
0: Yeah, but if you uh, you bring the rear foot higher, you bring the knee further back. You're going to mm. anteriorly tilt the pelvis. If the person keeps their upper body completely vertical, yeah. But what you'll find is they'll usually tip a little bit further forward. And as long as in that front leg the weight is in the heel, you know that their posterior chain is activated more. So you can afford to have that little lean because you're actually going to get more hip flexion. And as long as they're driving through their heel, you're going to get more activation through the glute and the hamstring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the objective is they come all the way up into straight and they tense that glute on that standing leg. I don't and need the that. arabesque and the arabesque yeah I hope that translates into the podcast I don't really know if it will we'll get some feedback feel free to tell us we we'll need to do this in a gym and then we can uh, just demonstrate what addition. yeah
1: um, anything else you want to add no no that was good that was good so yeah we'll what we'll do is we'll probably add or you'll add some uh, stories up and we'll get some diagrams going as well just to help highlight some of those
0: things yeah we'll do our best so, cool okay alright well uh, we're going to have to go now so we'll have some more people on very soon we're going to try and get this out more frequently mm-hmm. Um trying to do it every week if we can yeah if we can but don't count on that alright thanks guys see you soon bye bye